0: And later we will be going to the book of Psalms and we will read verse chapter 37 together. Or at least a big section of it. And let's pray for the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, we are very grateful for what we have experienced of your presence already. The words of song, the recital of our creed, And we know that you are here because you have promised to meet with your people when we gather in your name. But Lord, we are often, we are often, Lord, unconscious of your presence. We look at the service we are involved in as just a part of our duty. Let's get through it as quick and as easy as we can. And in such an attitude, Lord, our minds drift more than they are naturally prone to do. We turn away from the parts of the text that do not appeal to us or to which we think have no application to our lives. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would work here today to do what no man can do, and that is to quicken the word and quicken our hearts to receive the word that it might bring forth fruit. God, in trouble sometimes, and fear in the hearts of many, we pray that your word would come forth, Lord, to comfort. And we will give you praise and thanksgiving for it. Help me to su- succeed, Lord, in bringing out the word as you would have it. And we bless you and thank you for that in Christ's holy name. Amen. So let us read Matthew 5, verse 5, and let me just say to you that this is obviously going to be a very long journey, Uh, we're not getting very far very fast. That's because there's a ton of stuff to talk about, and I want to unpack it all. And even last week, which I thought was a very comprehensive message about comfort and mourning, uh, there was just so many other things that were left off and we could have dealt with. So I pray that, I ask that you continue to be in prayer over the weeks ahead so that I can just plow the field. There's so much here. But let's begin before and let's read our verse and then we will go. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now again, I want to remind you our journey is called the Spirit, the Sermon, and a Struggle. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount and highlighting especially issues of of uh, spiritual warfare and the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of people. I was reading a book today on apologetics, five views on apologetics. This morning I was reading before church the, and one of the men reminded uh, me and what you know that no human being has the capacity to make the word real in the human heart. The Holy Spirit has to do that. And we need to call upon Him and rely upon Him for that. And so we've been going through this, trying to do that. And we looked last week at the topic of mourning, and we said, we asked, how would the people have heard that? Remember, so many times we come to Scripture, and there are all these layers of stuff that we've gotten through the years. Well, at this church, I was taught this. And at that church, I was taught this. And at that church, I was taught something else. And one of the ways we can tear away all of the, the layers, if you will, and get back down to the, the meat, is by asking why, how would the first people have heard these words? What's the first thing they would have thought when they heard it? And we looked at that last week with the respect of mourning and the implication that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah comes to bring comfort for the mourning. And so we looked at that. Now, let me remind you of what the people typically, not all, but typically, the nation of Israel was looking for a political deliverer, somebody that was going to come along and squash the Romans and restore the, the, the people and the kingdom to the glory of Solomon and David. They were looking for this political deliverer, and even the words we read last week, where Jesus, quoting from the book of Isaiah, says, I've come to bring deliverance to the captives. And the people would have thought in those terms about these awful Romans and how they are dominating our country and oppressing us. And he's going to give us comfort by delivering us from them. And then I want you to note the contrast. Because he says, uh, I've come to bring comfort to the morning, which the people could and very likely understood as a political promise. And then he says, blessed are the meek. And there's this immediate contrast, whoa, wait a minute. Now, part of the contrast is that we, is in our definition of meekness. What does the word meekness mean? When the Bible talks about meekness when it talks about us exercising meekness, what does it mean? Well, we, we have to be careful because most people, not all, but most people think that meekness equals weakness, That it implies that you just stand by and people walk over you and they do all kinds of bad things to you. And you can't really do anything about it because you're supposed to be meek. Now, later in this series, we'll get to those passages where Jesus says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. And we will see there what I'm just going to pass on here, that in those texts, Jesus is talking about a personal response. He is not talking necessarily about the response of a particular government entity or what we're seeing, for example, in Ukraine where this country says we're going to conquer this country and we're just going to take all its resources and subjugate its people and we're supposed to just stand there and let that happen. No, 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 no. That's that's a personal issue when he says, turn the other cheek. And I will come back to that later in the message, so don't get off too much in the, in the uh, uh, political, geopolitical stuff right now. But many commentators, in fact, for example, one commentator says that these three first beatitudes, poverty of spirit, mourning, and meekness go together. They're all part of one. And so you've got the poor person who is powerless, and then you've got the person who's mourning, and then you've got the meekness, which naturally they would argue has to do with weakness. A meek person is weak. The story of God Bible Commentary suggests that these three Beatitudes deal with the humility of the poor and therefore the powerless. Remember, in, the, in that day and culture, if you were poor, you were absolutely, had no power, no ability at all. We didn't have these kind of government structures we have today, safety nets and so forth. And there are certainly elements of truth in the proper perspective. But I want you to see that the word meek does not mean weak. Now listen to how, how, uh, how deep this is ingrained. William Barclay says, and Barclay, by the way, lived quite a long time ago, I'm going to say, within uh, about 100 years ago, but I could be wrong about that. It says, nowadays it carries meekness, carries with it an idea of spinelessness and subservience. It paints the picture of a submissive and ineffective creature. James Montgomery Boyce says that meekness does not mean weakness or indolence or cowardice. I want to tell you that uh, I wonder, and you and I have to examine our hearts for this, but are we sometimes justifying cowardice in the name of meekness? We need to think about that. Listen to the Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament words, because I'll read this, but just to get it, double it up for you. It points out that the word, the Greek word translated meek in this text is not easily brought over into the English. That is, the words that we use to define the Greek word are insufficient because it's one of those words in other languages that just can't be brought over perfectly. It says the Greek adjective for meekness is not readily expressed in English for the terms meekness and mildness commonly used suggest weakness to a greater or less extent. And because the word isn't able to be brought over fully, we tend to go away with the idea that it's weakness. Blessed are the weak. And when Jesus is really saying it's not that at all. Blessed, blessed, are the meek again in contrast to this idea of him coming as a political deliverer now we have him apparently if we use the attitude or the definition of weakness then we have him advocating submission to an oppressive power now, before we can go further to unpack that, and I hope to be able to lay it out to you today, we need to talk about a corollary issue, which is pride. What is good pride, and what is bad pride? Now, I'm going to use the definition here of, uh, from the World Book Dictionary. I emphasize from the World Book Dictionary because it was part of the World Book Encyclopedia, and as you know, in our culture, words are being changed all the time. And a word that used to mean this is now being told we can't use that word like mother. You know, we need to use birthing person or penis person, but we can't say male or female. Well, okay, knock yourself out. I'm going to use the same language I've always used, and I hope you'll come visit me in the jail when they send me down there, okay? It's nonsense. But the, the dictionaries assume they can just rewrite it. And then, all of a sudden, the world will pick up on it and say, Oh, cool! So I'm using an old dictionary definition for pride. And it says this, and please listen, because it's very important here in relation to this idea of meekness. So the World Book Dictionary says that pride implies pleased satisfaction with what one is, has, or has done and suggests either proper self-respect and personal dignity because of real worth or excessive self-love and arrogance because of imagined superiority. Get that. I'll read it again. Pride implies pleased satisfaction with what one is, has, and has done and suggest either proper self-respect and personal dignity because of real worth. Now stop there. Uh, me and Scott were talking about this, and if you looked at our, if you looked at Scott's blog, uh, where he's doing, we're doing these, we're recording our our little mentoring sessions, and then he posts them on his YouTube channel. we talked about this week that when God creates man. God creates man notice the sequence God says let there be let there be let there be let there be their commands their imperatives let there be let there be but then when he comes to humans he says let us and and one and John Calvin said he moves from command to consultation within the trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which conveys uniqueness of man, created in the image of God, and therefore of great personal worth. See, children, we oppose sin that destroys humans, but we love people because they are made in the image of God. And it is why we pray even for our enemies, because they have value that we can't always appreciate in our hearts and lives in some of the folks that are so broken and bitter in our lives. So there is a place for you to have a sense of, yeah, look, what I've done, not, not in a prideful sense, I did it all, but I took what God gave me and I used it to make my life worthwhile and beneficial and fruitful for the people around me. Some of the stuff that's going on in our culture. And I feel sorry for people. And I I say this specifically with respect to trans people boys who think they're girls and girls who think they're boys. And I'm not trying to condemn you, I'm asking you what difference that will make 40 years from now. It, It denies your worth. It says you are not worth something until you achieve something you can never achieve. Which is to turn yourself into a different gender, which cannot be done. And our culture is so blind to this. Just, I just say it and presto, I'm that. And the people that really go through the transition go through years and years and years of physical Hell because they have to take hormones the rest of their lives, and if they stop taking them, their body naturally begins to revert to the other gender. You don't snip off the parts, and presto, you're that. Because at the very chromosomal level of your being, your body says you're male or you're female, and it is always working, fighting to get out. And Christian people think we're helping folks to encourage that kind of transition we have real genuine worth and we should celebrate who we are and what we accomplish in life as long as we do not do it from a position of excessive self-love and arrogance about imagined superiority Are you really better than other people? Hold it! Hold it! You may be better at something than other people, but you are not better than other people from a purely, strictly human perspective. I'm writing a piece for the paper. I hope to get it done and get it in there this week called the 13% myth. And the 13% myth quickly is that Blacks make up 13% of the population in America, but the culture thinks those 13% of the people can occupy 50% of the jobs. And they're always pushing for racial equality in the workplace, and we should be fair, but you can never get 13% of the people in 50% of the positions. It's a lie. And we look at things, and, and we, we, we don't take into consideration that people are better at some things than others. Why are 80% of the NBA players black? Because blacks are better at basketball, that's all. They're taller, they're more agi- they have greater agility. Why are 70% of the of NFL players black? Because they're good football players. Don't knock it, celebrate the distinctions there. But never look at that and say, well, I'm better than them as a human being. Because you know this, we're all broken. Every last one of us are broken. We don't always talk about it. It's not laid out for everybody to see. And maybe we're not even conscious of our brokenness yet because we haven't lived long enough. But trust me, the day will come where you will know that you're broken just as bad as everybody else I'm, I'm reminded just now, and I'm sorry if it gets off the track, but I'm reminded of the, the movie In the Heat of the Night with uh, Sidney Pottier and, and, and Rod Steiger, and they, they're trying to prove that this racist millionaire in, in Mississippi has killed this rich businessman. And in one scene, uh, Sidney Pottier, who's been forced into this role, he, he comes out and he says, I can bring him down! talking about this white guy he says i'm close i can bring him right down off of this hill and the white cop looks at him and says oh you're just like the rest of us aren't you burning with anger and prejudice and vengeance oh yes we're all broken we are all broken but we have value Because we're human beings created in the image of God. And when I use that and I justify things and I think I'm better than everybody, that's an imagined superiority that doesn't exist. You heard about the little boy was out trying to play ball with himself? Well, many of you never had that experience. You've lots of friends, but. He threw the ball up and he went, whoom. And before he went, whoom, back up, rewind, he says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he missed the ball. He picked it up and he tossed it up again. He said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he missed again. So he picked the ball up. He looked at the ball. He looked at his bat. He didn't know what was wrong. He threw it up again. He said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he missed it. Scratched his head a minute and and then his eyes lit up and he said, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. (laughs) That's the way we are, isn't it? We just keep looking for something to say I'm better than somebody else. And we all got it. See, good pride is taking pride in a job well done, a hard job. Have you ever done anything and you've stuck with it until you got it done and then you stand back and say, yeah, I did that. It's not arrogance. If you say, I did it, and you can't do it, that's arrogance. But to say, I did this, I put my effort into it, I can say I'm proud of my children. A community can say we're proud of our clean streets or our crime free streets today. But bad pride is that that takes too high an opinion of yourself. I'm better looking than everybody. I drive a nicer car. I live in a better house. And therefore, I should have certain perks and certain treatments. People ought to get out of my way when I'm on the road. They ought to leave the best parking spaces for me. And that little girl at Walmart, she ought to be checking me out quick and right and not give me any grief about it. Now, that's arrogance that says I'm better than the person who's waiting on me. Bless God, I'm better than they are because I don't have to work at Walmart. Well, you might not have to work at Walmart. Maybe that's because God's blessed you differently, and it still came from Him. What does Paul say in the New Testament? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why are you so arrogant about it? We strut around about our good looks as if we had anything to do with that. You went in your mama's womb and said, you know, when I come out, I want to have blue eyes, blonde hair, shapely hips, you know, everything just perfect. And the dude comes out, you know, and he's, he's all his pecs and his, all his other stuff are, are chiseled, you know, he's got these chiseled abs. I got a six pack. You just can't see them underneath the flab, that's all. <laughs> They're there. But you see this idea? We think that, don't we? I'm good looking. That makes me better than other people, and you didn't do anything about that. You didn't choose that. That was a pure, uh, that was random chance. And then if we peel off the five and a half pounds of makeup that you go on through every morning. Amen. Lisa's got to get up about three hours before she goes to work. It's uh, too. It's two. And I say again, thank God I'm not a woman. I can just get up and go like I am and nobody thinks anything about it. Nobody says he's a slob. He's a man. Of course he's a slob. (laughs) But we take such pride, don't we, in things we had nothing to do with and look down on other people. That's the wrong kind of pride. Listen to Romans 12.3. Paul says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, a proper self-estimate, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Oh God, I wish there was time and I don't have time. Now if we are driven by that kind of arrogance, where we're always looking down at contempted people uh, because we're better than them, then we're not living a life of meekness. But good pride itself is not contradictory to meekness. Now, here's a different definition. The earlier definitions I gave you that people typically have is weakness. But here's a typical, accurate definition, and it is strength under control. Listen to the Vines Expositor Dictionary again. He says, it must be clearly understood that the meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to the believer is the fruit of power. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it is because he cannot help himself. That is, he has, not, not in physical abilities, but in circumstances of life, he's trapped and he can't do anything about it, so he just abides there and stays there because he's meek. That's not the point. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it is because he cannot help himself. But listen, the Lord himself was meek, and yet he had the infinite resources of God at his command. Jesus had power and authority. He had the power to do something and the right to do it, but he chose not to. How about in the wilderness where he's being tempted? Turn that stone into bread. Well, he has the power to do it, he has the right to do it. He's God. But he does not exercise either. And he demonstrates, demonstrates meekness to the plan and command of God. What about in the garden? Do you remember it? The, Peter chops the ear off the servant, and Jesus says, Don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels from heaven if I wanted to? He had the power, and he had the right But he did not exercise the power or the right. What about Paul in the New Testament when he's dealing with the people who who are questioning his authority? He says, Don't I have the right to lead about a wife like Peter and the other apostles? Paul was unmarried. I could be married. I have the power and the right. I'm not going to use it in another place. He says, He did not take money from the church so that he wouldn't burden them. He had the power and the right as an apostle, but he didn't exercise it. This is the concept of meekness, strength under control. Meekness is compatible with high spirits, James Montgomery Boyce says, with high spirits, courage, and great strength. William Barclay goes on using the thoughts of Aristotle that says uh, meekness means being angry, always angry at the right time. And never angry at the wrong time. Paul says in Ephesians, be angry, but do not sin. There is a right time to be angry. Now we see this in the life of Jesus. But now I want to give you another one. We've looked at some modern day definitions, but let us turn to the book of Psalm 37, which is where Jesus quotes this text from. And I want to read down to verse 11 and i'll make reference to a few other verses in other words we have all this here in the new testament and in the writings of religious leaders to tell us what meek means but we can go to the text that jesus is quoting and we can find even more oh and children please please listen attentively for a few more moments psalm 37 verse 1 and i'm reading from the english standard he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. For fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, verse 11 the meek shall inherit the land, or the meek shall inherit the earth, as Jesus says, that has the same connotations, comes from Psalm 37. Now what's important about this and before I go further let me say that I'm I want to draw quickly uh, the idea that meek in all the other definitions we've dealt with can also be drawn from this text because he makes references again and again to the land. Okay? Verse number 3, dwell in the land. Verse number 9, the wait, those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 37, the meek shall inherit verse 11, the meek shall inherit the earth. Verse 22. Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep the way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. So what I'm saying is that meekness in verse number 11 has application to the whole psalm because of that connection to the land. So a meek person is one who waits on the Lord. A meek person is someone, and let me stay with my outline. Three points here, quickly. First, the meek should not be driven to envy. Driven to envy over the prosperity and progress of the wicked. Do you envy the rich? I hear people say, oh no, I don't, I don't envy the rich. Really? And why you play the lottery every week? Aren't you trying to get what they've got? We can make a moral or a we can make a moral argument about the right or wrong of the lottery later. I'm making a separate point. Why do you want the richest money so badly that you spend money you could be spending on other things? I look at these people, they get away with everything. Well, can I tell you where we're at today? We have a president who ignores the Constitution and then expects everybody to obey the law. They passed a law in Texas that that defines, and you're not going to have a debate about this, that defines it as child abuse to tell a child they're different than the sex they're born with. If you encourage your child to go through gender transition they've passed a law that says that's child abuse. It is child abuse. But you got DAs down there that say, we're not going to enforce that law. Well, can I ask you a question? Why should I obey any of the laws if those elected to serve who are supposed to enforce the law aren't enforcing it? Mm. Anybody else in the room know what I'm talking about? They want to tax me to death? I'm supposed to obey the law. Nobody else is obeying it, including the president. Now, this is the kind of stuff he's dealing with. Our tendency to look at who's getting away with things and justify our own refusal to do the right thing. And you say, well, pastor, why should we do it? Do everything you do for the glory of God. Do it not as unto men, but as unto the Lord. Don't be driven to envy over what everybody else is getting away with. But be faithful to the Lord. Verse 1, quickly. Again, fret not yourself. Verse 7b, fret not yourself. Verse 8b, fret not yourself. Don't let what's happening around you change who you are and your faithfulness to Christ. That's meekness. The second thing I would give you is that you should serve God faithfully in trust and delight. Look at verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7a, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. This is where meekness and submission come in, because my life isn't always what I want it to be, but I must believe God has a plan for my life. And He's working it out. And young people, I beg you today, and this is not to pick on you, but but and and I know this is going to sound like the oh old God, the old guy's talking. Children, when you're young, 20 years sounds like forever. It just sounds like God. Oh, 20 years? I and mean, we we've talked about it a lot of times. My grandparents were old in their forties. We thought they were old people but when I got to that age, I realized they were only in their 40s when they were old people. And what is that? Because we, when we're kids, we don't understand 20 years. Some of you that are 20, 19, 20, 14, 15, 16, 17, you can remember about 10 or 15 years, and only parts of that. Boy, when you get down the road about 40 years, you realize how quick time goes, how short it is. And how important it is that you make the most and the right choices along the way. Commit your way to the Lord. Serve Him faithfully in the land. Wait for Him. And it'll seem like a long time, but it's worth the wait. And I will say this to you. Young people, please, please hear your pastor. I try to say it with the greatest love. I was encouraged last week there was a piece in the New York Post that said young people in America are waiting longer to get married and waiting longer to have sex. Hallelujah! You're not going to lose it by the time you're 30, I promise you. (laughs) There's just as much magic and wonder in the sexual relationship when you're 50 as there is when you're 15. You got time. Wait on it and find the man or woman that will stand by you even when you can't perform in the bedroom. Can somebody in the room say amen this morning? We talk about real stuff, okay? Now listen, he says, serve God faithfully and trust in delight. Trust includes the idea that God is going to vindicate the righteous by removing the wicked. I trust that no matter how much power and how much abuse the rich and the powerful oppress me or my Family with one day they will be gone, and it will, it's not a pipe dream. Third, we have to refrain from taking vengeance through anger. Fret means you get yourself wrapped up into this state of anger where you just want to strike out. And if you follow the news, some of the stuff that's happening road rage, people punching each other in the store. People cussing out the one, the person at the drive-through because they they got the fries wrong. For goodness, oh my, the world is going to end because I got the wrong fries. That's because we're so we've got so much anguish about the world around us. We're not trusting in God. Every now and again, you need to stop, step back, and say. I will not let what the world is doing control me. Now get this, this is very important. You know what the second most used with that Greek word for meek, the second most common usage of that word is for a domesticated animal. An animal like a horse or a cow or a dog who has been trained to use its natural animal capacities to serve. Dog sleds, cows and horses and oxen pulling plows through the field, and horses being turned into these creatures that lead men and carry men into war. They took the animal and they domesticated. That means they took the the natural abilities and refined them into a place where they could be controlled. And that's the second most used meaning of that Greek word, which means you and I are supposed to grow to where we are in control of our anger. Well, shoot. I know we've always been there. All of us have been there one time or another, and we're all on a journey to get past that, right? I'm going to tell you right now, I could not help myself. They pushed the buttons, they pushed the buttons, and they pushed the buttons, and finally that was it. I just had to let it go. And I gave them a piece of my mind. You ain't got many pieces left. You better be careful there. (laughs) Isn't that what we say? I just couldn't help myself. This is a whole part of growing in Christ, is to recognize I can't help myself. Sorry to our Facebook (laughs) Went out of the frame. We've, we've got to learn this. This is part of being meek, is to say, no, I'm not going to react like the world would have me react. I'm going to be faithful to Christ. Now let me quickly say this and we're done. We'll say, Pastor, meekness is not weakness, but yet we're supposed to submit to situations. Are we passively to endure? Persecution or actively. We actively endure persecution. What does that mean? Or oppression? We active. You look for opportunities within that to do good. Verse number one. Or verse number two: trust in the Lord and do good. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord. When you understand what God's ways are, you commit to doing that even in the face of opposition and difficulty. Blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are in Christ, who are coming under the direction and the discipline of the Holy Spirit to be faithful to the Lord even in the time of oppression and mistreatment, whether, whatever the cause. Amen.